let me just begin with saying this. It's a dangerous thing to ask me not to preach for a few weeks and then to all of a sudden ask me to preach one week. So uh, get ready for a three-hour sermon that I've been bottling up inside. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not going to talk that long for, for Matt's sake. Um, I'm going to allow him to go to sleep. Anyways, for our sermon today, I, I want to do something different than what we usually do. I want to start off not with the main verse that we're going to be dwelling on, which is the, the verse that uh, Daniel was reading for us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But I want us to be dwelling, uh, thinking about John ch in chapter 14 and verse 21. And I want to read these words of Jesus. It's not going to be on the screen or anything like that. But I want to read these words of Jesus and and think a little bit about what they mean and the implications they have, because they are heavy words. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus, I don't know about you, when it, what comes to mind when you read this, uh, but I wasn't always a Christian. Actually, there was a time when I read my Bible and I did so as a skeptic. And I was very skeptical about things that Jesus said, for instance. And I remember at one time reading these words as a skeptic and thinking to myself that this sounds like uh, a girlfriend that is too controlling or like a control freak girlfriend that basically says to her boyfriend or something like that, oh, if he loves me, he will do as I say. And that was my view of this. This is Jesus just being overly controlling or something like that. Later on, of course, I was confronted with a much deeper reality that if we love Jesus, we, we love him not for our ideas of Jesus or our projected hopes or what or who he should be, but if we truly love Jesus, we love him for who he is. And if you start to read what he says about himself and what he does, you start to realize quickly, he's God. And if we love him as God, and we realize that I am not God, then obviously what follows that is my love for him should lead to me saying, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. You know better than me, and I'm going to follow what you say. Our love should naturally lead to taking the commandments of Jesus seriously, if we truly love him. Well, then my mindset, mindset sort of shifted, uh, and I started thinking of this verse mainly as referring to people sort of outside the church, blatantly disobeying God, who may say with their words, you know, yeah, I love Jesus, um, but in reality, the way they live, the way they behave, the way they talk, the way they think, they don't really care about Jesus. And yes, in one sense, this verse is referring to that group of people. Someone who might come and say, you know, uh, I love Jesus, but I just like sleeping around with a bunch of girls. Or I love Jesus, but I just have to lie in my job for convenience sake to make some money and be successful. Or I love Jesus, but in reality, I get more gratifications for what others think of me than what God thinks of me. Um, but here, what Jesus is saying is, Basically, words are cheap. Anyone can say, I love you. But for instance, if you have a husband that says, I love my wife, but then in reality, 
he's abusing his wife, then in my head, your words matter little because your actions are speaking way louder than your words. But today, I want us to think about this verse, and I don't want us to be thinking about people outside of the church who may say that they love God or may call themselves Christians but don't behave that way. But I want to think about this and point our fingers inwardly. Not all the people out there, but all of us. What if this applies to the people who at least look like they have it all together? What if this verse applies to the people who constantly share the right things on social media, say the right things, who may even read their Bibles, who may go to church and may spend, you know, minutes, hours of their day in devotional, who pray regularly and fast regularly, but when it comes to some commandments of Jesus, they either because of ignorance or because they don't want to, they choose not to follow what he says. And what if this applies to churches, modern day churches? Because today's topic, we're talking about uh, a topic that's been rather neglected for the church. And it's the topic of discipleship. And it goes along with what Elliot and Robert have been talking about these last few weeks. It touches on our worship of God. It touches on our community, and it touches on serving others. Um, so I want to jump into the verse that we should know by now, hopefully, because we've been reading this at the end of our service, reminding ourselves that when we gather, when we close our gatherings, our worship doesn't stop there. As we go into our Monday and Tuesday, our worship continues, and we want to continually lay down our lives to worship God and follow him. So let me just read this one more time, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So uh, if you don't know, uh, just January 23rd was my birthday. I turned 32. It was a weird experience for me. Uh, for some reason, that's an odd number for me to deal with that I'm now not just 30 or, you know, I'm 30 something. I'm, I'm turning into 40 uh, in a little bit. And it's just weird to think about. But on my birthday, I remember checking the news sites for what was happening uh, that day. And I saw a face that I recognized, a guy that I recognized. His name was Guimantur Felix. And there was something odd about this news article that I was reading about Guimantur. Uh, number one, it was an actually a positive news article. That was pretty weird because most of the time when you think of news, it's just something horrible happening in the world. And this one was actually uh, something positive. And number two, it was about something that I could, I thought could never actually happen. Like I couldn't think this in my wildest dreams. Like maybe this belongs in a sci-fi film or something like that, but it was a struggle for me to realize that this is actually happening. So about six years ago, Guilherme Felix got into an accident. If I remember correctly, we're not friends, but we would recognize one another sort of acquaintances. Uh, but if I remember correctly, he got electrocuted. He grabbed onto a wire 
and got electrocuted, resulting in both of his arms having to be removed and him not having an arm basically from his shoulder down. Well, this news article on the 23rd of January was about the fact that he had been in France for about six years at this time, waiting for an organ donor, a very unique type of organ donor, someone not only willing to give their hearts or lungs or whatever else, uh, but willing to give their arms to him. And what they did in France is they attached someone's arms who had just died onto Grumeter Felix, uh, basically stubs that were left, and they connected his arteries to the the arms of the deceased person and his nerves to his arms. And the news article was about the fact that the surgery seems to be a success. And he's starting to feel feelings in these arms of a foreign person. And he's now starting this long process of rehabilitation to basically get adjusted to this new reality of his. And I remember reading this article and I, I started thinking about uh, Ephesians chapter four, because uh, here it says in Ephesians chapter four, it says, I, therefore, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians church, Ephesian church. I, therefore, a, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk and, and, and read this carefully to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then he goes on to say in verse two and three, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. But I want to underline this, this saying of his right here, Ephesians 4, 1. I want to urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here's why. This story of Grumentur reminded me of Ephesians chapter 4. Because Paul here tells the Christians in Ephesus not to basically start to live like Christians so that they can one day earn the privilege or the honor of being called Christians. He's not sort of some self-help guru that tells you to fake it till you make it or something like that. He says to them, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, you now, the Christians in Ephesus, are Christians. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have confessed him to be your Lord and your Savior, you now are a Christian you may be a very young Christian. There may be a lot of mistakes ahead of you, but you are indeed a Christian because you've been justified by faith. And Jesus Christ has wiped away your guilt, wiped away your shame. He's died for your sins. You are his child. And then he goes on to tell them, now you've got to start living according to this new reality of who you are. You've got to say, what does a Christian say? What does a Christian do? What does a Christian think? How does a Christian behave? And you start to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and conform you to the image of Jesus. Just like Wilhelm did. Now he was a man with arms who had to start to live his life according to this new reality of his. So when it comes to discipleship or being followers or apprentices of Jesus, it is our aim to conform our lives, our actions, our words, 
our thoughts to this new reality that we now live in. We don't simply have new arms like Gwimundur has. We have new life. We have new hope. Because of Jesus, we have eternal hope where God has not only being, become our, our judge, he's also become our defender and our savior who died for our sin and shame and guilt so that we could have eternal life through him. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God down because we could never approach it on our own. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It simply means to be someone who is learning at the feet of Jesus, who is apprenticing under Jesus, who is following Jesus and trying to copy him. I don't know if you've seen kids do this, uh, but they copy their parents. They they want to start to talk like their parents. They they want to laugh at the same things that their parents laugh at. They they try to adjust their life to look like their parents. And that's what we are doing as disciples. We want to make our lives look like Jesus. I'm reminded of the book of Acts when the disciples are talking to people and basically the people there realize they are uneducated men, but man, they see that they've been with Jesus. That is our aim as disciples, to, to be with Jesus in such a way that it, it is seen outside of us. And so in our text today, in Matthew 28, I want to highlight four different themes that I see. And that's number one, because of Jesus. Number two, we seek to love Jesus. We seek to love like Jesus. And we seek to live like Jesus. Those are the four points. So let's start with this. All of this is simply and only possible because of Jesus. Let me tell you this. I'm not here to try to try to get you to be better morally. My, my concern, my highest concern as a preacher, as a pastor, is that your heart is transformed. I'm not looking to transform the way you behave. I want your heart to be transformed. There, everything else starts to change. Uh, I'm not here to try to preach morality. Uh, we have to remember at, at the root of our faith is Jesus. This is only possible because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, he has promised the Holy Spirit, and he's told us that the plan of the Holy Spirit is to conform us to the image of Christ. And so all of this, all of the Christian life is always at the root only possible because of Jesus. You see this in the Great Commission. The, the what is sandwiched between the who. Like, what do we do? The text tells us we go out, we make disciples, we baptize them, and we teach them. And who empowers us to do this? And who are we discipling them to be like? And in whose name are we baptizing? And whose teaching are we teaching? Well, that's Jesus. It is Jesus who empowers us for this task and it conforms, uh, comforts us in our task. And you see this in verse 18 and verse 20. Jesus says this to his disciples before he gives them what to do. He tells them who is with them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And then he ends in verse 20 and says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it just gives you this this glimpse of maybe Psalm 23 or something like that, where uh, where he the psalmist is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. 
And he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. When life is going hard, when it's difficult, when it's painful, he is there. The, the words of Christ ring in our ears. I am with you always to the end of the age. But he's also the one leading us to green pastures where life is comfortable, where life is amazing, and where we thank God and praise God for his blessings. He is with us still. Yet, I want to ask us this question. Are we as a church and are we as individuals realizing our crucial need for Jesus to move and to build his church? Let me tell you this. We are not here today because the people and the generations before us were so clever. We're not here today because the people and the generations before us had such great plans and great executions or great work ethic or anything like that. We are here today because Jesus builds his church. That is why we hear people from all over the place in different nations uh, on a rock in the middle of the Atlantic Oceans are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Imagine the work of God that has led to this point. And he's allowed people to be a part of his plan. But ultimately, we are here today because Jesus builds his church. It's not because of any strategy that any human made up. They got to be a part of that. But man, Jesus has built his church. And he uses ordinary people to do that. We should be honored that we get to be a part of that here in Iceland, but never under the illusion that somehow this would hap wouldn't happen if, if we weren't involved. Like I think about one, uh, Psalm 127.1 one, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house. Dear Christian, are we seeking to teach what Jesus taught? When we teach, when we disciple, are we seeking to teach what Jesus taught or to aid people becoming more and more like Jesus? Or are we teaching our own clever ideas and seeking to make people more like us. Brothers and sisters, as, as we seek to, to help people grow in faith, my, my prayer for us is that we would be able to say with our brother, the apostle Paul, who said in first Corinthians 11, chapter one, uh, chap, chapter 11, verse one, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. As we lead, as we love, as we teach, may we simply be following Jesus and teaching others to do the same. To live a practical life, asking ourselves questions like, how would Jesus respond in this situation? Or what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? How would he respond? What would he say? How would he love there have been too many people who have simply followed people that said, follow me. But they forgot the latter half of Paul's sentence. There have been people who have told me that they've lost faith in the Christian system because of some moral failure of a preacher or a pastor or something like that. But remember this, we are here to say to other people, not, hey, come and follow me, but rather follow me as long as I'm following Christ. We need to realize we are imperfect people. We're not going to do this perfectly. That's why I said in the beginning, we seek to love Jesus and we seek to love like Jesus and we seek to live like Jesus 
because honestly, he was the perfect man. And uh, I don't know how, how good your week was, but mine was not perfect. Far from it. In many ways, it was, it was yeah, not perfect. So as we teach others, we have to remind them that this is what discipleship is about. We are teaching people to live in their new reality of what it looks like to be a child of God, what it looks like to love God, to enjoy God, and to reflect him to others. Now, here's why I mentioned in the beginning Jesus in John chapter 14. When he said, those who love me will follow my commandments. Because in the great commandment, we realize that we do this only because of Jesus. That is why we need to root our faith in Jesus to be able to bear fruit. And the root of the faith is only found in Jesus. But our second point is we want to love Jesus. And what did Jesus say in John 14? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here's why I think we need to think of that verse, not only as applying to people out there somewhere, but to reflect on our own hearts. In what ways do I want to avoid what Jesus said? In what ways do I feel uncomfortable with what Jesus said? And in what ways maybe am I neglecting it without realizing it? And honestly, in many ways, I don't think the modern church is doing a good job of taking Jesus seriously when it comes to this mission of ours to make disciples. I, I feel like we, we may have drifted a little bit in trying to focus on making services, making gatherings, uh, making Sunday performances, maybe, um, maybe getting people to, to show up for a once a week event, or maybe asking them to give and so on. And granted, that's a part of discipleship. We don't want to neglect the gatherings of believers. We want to give generously, but that's not the entirety of discipleship. And I want to ask us the question, are we taking this command of Jesus seriously to make disciples? Because this is not just a command for pastors and preachers. This is for all Christians. Listen, you can attend church and you can have a dead soul inside that is going to hell. You, you know, like if you, if you want to be a little, you know, if you want to be awoken up, uh, reach Matthew chapter seven, where you got these guys coming before Jesus at the end of their lives saying, hey, look at all the things we did for you. We preached in your name. We healed sick people in your name. And what does he say to them? I never knew you. Go away from me. You can have a bunch of theological knowledge, but you're dead inside because all you do is take in, take in, take in, and you grow in your understanding and your knowledge, but you never have an output where you actually put that into practice. You never actually do. We should be asking ourselves, not only if our people are attending church services, but are we loving Jesus? And is someone walking alongside of people, teaching them what it looks like practically to love Jesus. We need not simply a book on the topic or a preaching on the topic or a preaching series on the topic. We need people to show us what it looks like to live a life that loves Jesus, to not only know what he said for us to do, but what it looks like to actually live it. You know, like, and it's easy to talk about Jesus talking about turning the other cheek. 
you know, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. <laughs> but I think what this world needs to see is not just someone teaching on that topic. They need to see someone living that topic. And that's what we're supposed to do. Our faith is supposed to have feet. Our faith is supposed to do. As James says, faith without works is dead. Um, think about it. If you had doctors, if you had nurses, if you had people, you know, barbers who cut your hair, think about if, if they got an education where they had multiple years where they had someone lecturing to them and explaining to them how their profession works, they had books to read, they had topics that were talked about, but they never actually saw someone work and they never actually got to participate in that work. Imagine sending someone who's got years of education behind them, like a doctor, who's just got theoretical knowledge in their head and then pushing them to a hospital situation and saying, good luck. Of course, that would never work. Their training would be incomplete. But yet we, as the modern church, I think we emphasize a lot getting more information. You know, like if we just have really good sermons, if we just have really good classes or lectures, then we're going to have an awesome church. But what we need more is, is actually not just the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus hanging out with his disciples before and after that, showing them what the Sermon on the Mount looked like in action. That is our job as believers. That is our jobs as Christians to model Jesus, to love Jesus. It's not simply enough for me to talk about high and lofty ideas or doctrines or even making them super practical. It is our job to support one another in living in light of what Jesus had taught. So here may be a, a sort of very practical step for, for us. If, you, if you're out there and you're a, a new Christian, um, maybe you're a follower of Jesus now, maybe, you, you, maybe you've been a Christian for years, but since becoming a follower of Jesus, you've not been baptized. Well, in our text today, one of the big things is that when we go and make disciples, we're supposed to baptize them. Um, so Colossians 2 uh, verse 12 tells us what baptism is. It's where we identify with Jesus. When we are, you know, when we are put under the water, we are being buried with Jesus symbolically. When we come up out of that water, we are this new creation, living a new reality. And so if you are out there and you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized since coming to faith, one of the ways that you can say today, you know what, I'm going to take the word of God seriously. I'm going to make this happen. It's just to take this step of baptism. Talk to me, talk to Elliot about making that step. I think we've got three or four people who have been with us for a long time, who are about to start taking that step. Um, so talk, talk to me, talk to Elliot after this sermon, if you want to take that stop, step. This is a sign, this baptism, that is an amazing reality of what Jesus has done in your life and in your soul. That's what baptism is supposed to be about. That's why we don't baptize babies, because... If you haven't noticed with babies, they have no idea what's going on. They just cry. Uh, they, they, they don't like being baptized. They have no idea what's happening. What is this sign? What has happened in their heart? Um, so we do baptism after you come to faith and because we think that's what the Bible is talking about. Because we want to see in physically what has happened inside of your heart and inside of your mind uh, spiritually. I know there are... Uh, 
So because of, of Jesus, we seek to love Jesus, and then we seek to love like Jesus and live like Jesus. Now, here's something amazing about Jesus. He is God in flesh. And he took the time to hang out with some very flawed and imperfect individuals. Partly, how Jesus loved so well uh, was because he was willing to teach the truth. Even when the truth was uncomfortable, even when it hurt, he was willing to teach the truth. It makes me think of Proverbs 27, verse 6, where it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Well, when Jesus would wound someone with the truth of his sinfulness and his need for uh, a savior, repentance, so on, it was out of love. Jesus never shied away from teaching them the truth, even when it hurt. That is a part of how Jesus loved. We need to remind that, remember that as a church where there's a lot of pressure on us as individuals and as a church to let go of certain things that just doesn't jive with where the culture is at, to edit our view of how we live certain ways, how we view certain things. Uh, we need to remember we have to love like Jesus and loving like Jesus means we stand for truth. Now, we don't want to be jerks about it. We want to deliver truth as, as graciously and lovingly as possible, but we're never going to sacrifice truth. And here's another way that Jesus loved people. He spent a lot of time with them. Probably around three years, he had with his disciples every single day. Imagine that. To, yeah, they, they, they heard the teachings of Jesus, obviously. They had some amazing sermons that he taught and preached. But more importantly, they saw how he lived. They saw how he lived what he preached and how he put it into practice. That was the way Jesus loved. And that was the way he did discipleship. As we seek to love like Jesus and live like Jesus, imagine just how he fulfilled the truths of 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul is talking about love. Like, for instance, like love is patient or love is kind. And you see that patience and kindness of Jesus in the Gospels over and over again, especially when it's like, man, <laughs> are you not getting this already? Like he's, he's reiterating this, this teachings that he's been teaching them for probably years up until this point, saying, this is what I mean. He was most certainly patient through weeks and months and years. He was patient teaching disciples who just didn't seem to get it at times. As we think about this, as we think about the fact that love is patient and love is kind, I think one of the biggest enemies that the church has today is simply the fact that we're all in such a hurry all the time. We've got too many hours at our jobs, too many hobbies, 
too many shows to watch, too many places to be, too many conversations to keep up with. We are distracted all the time. So many things to save up for, to buy, to aim for. So much so that even when you're physically there with someone, having a conversation, you're, you're having a conversation with someone that might be miles away or thousands of miles away. Here's what technology, I'm, I'm starting to realize this more and more, how, how dangerous this can be to like parents and that type of stuff. What technology does is it does a great job at connecting you with people who are mm. far away from you. Like right now I'm talking and it's amazing that I can talk to all of you in different places in the world. That's so cool. That's what technology is really good at. But what it's also really good at is disconnecting you from the people that are right here around you. So I can be distracted by a conversation that I'm having with someone in the U United States of America while I can't hear my kid that is asking me again, dad, can you help me with this? Dad, can you help me with this? We live in a day and age where social media and technology have done a great job at connecting us with people far away. Meanwhile, disconnecting us from the people right in front of us. And so how about this? In our pursuit of loving like Jesus and living like Jesus, what would it look like for us to cut off distractions as much as we can, to slow down, to love people in such a way that we, yes, are willing to tell them the truth like Jesus did, even when it does means that we are not popular? Or how about this? We love people by giving them of the most precious and irredeemable resource that we have. And that resource is time. You can never get that back. You can never get more of it. But man, what a loving thing to do to show to one or two or three, however, whatever your social capacity is to say to a certain amount of individuals, I'm going to love you well. And I think that's what we need in discipleship. We don't need just another guy willing to do a lecture, another sermon to listen to, or something like that. We need someone who's actually willing to live with people like Jesus did, walk with people and show them practically what it looks like to put the teachings of Jesus, move it from our heads, let it affect our hearts and equip our hands so that we can, you know, we can allow the teachings of Jesus, which are great to think about, but even greater when it comes to loving our families, loving our spouses, loving our children, loving our friends and loving our families. What if we loved like Jesus loved? What if we freely gave of our time? And I'm just blown away thinking about this. You know, Jesus is God in flesh. And he is so generous with his time with these 12 guys who just get to hang with him and around him, even when they don't get what he's talking about. And he's just so generous with his time. And I was thinking about this, like, how can I love Jesus and love like Jesus and live like Jesus. And I started getting more and more convicted. Like I need to slow down. Like for one, I've got people in my house. No one is going to affect the, the lives of my children. Like I will, because no one else spends as much time with them as I will. And so how am I using that time? You, you can look around your life and, and just see the, the opportunities, the people that God has placed in your life and ask yourself the question, how can I love them well? 
How can I spend more time with them? What distractions can I cut off? How can I live like Jesus? My prayer is this, that Father, that you would cut our hearts <laughs> when we fail to hear the people closest to us, the children asking us questions because we're distracted by screens. Father, would you open our eyes when we are too distracted to see the hurting soul in front of us that needs to be loved? Would you help us reflect Jesus? Would you help us give freely, give generously? Now, there are, there are so many things that could be said about loving like Jesus and living like Jesus. But let, let me simply refer to how we invest our time in people and then this. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Notice, we're not just to proclaim to people what Jesus taught, but we're supposed to teach people how to observe it. We're supposed to teach people what it practically looks like to love God. What it looks like to seek to live a life that loves God with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength, but to actually take the time to walk with them and to show them how we carry that out. Now think about the teaching of Jesus. It takes very practical forms. While we teach that we ought not to seek to abuse our power, but to serve others, there's a world out there that is waiting for us and looking at us, not only to hear what we have to say and what we have to teach with our mouths, but I think they would be shocked if they actually saw Christians live out what Jesus taught. Like live out what the Bible actually talks about. And we see that throughout history. People have been taken aback by a church that's generous, that's loving, that's picking up the mantle of Jesus and seeking to glorify him with their lives. Like, we know we ought to forgive those who sin against us. We ought to give generously of our time, our resources, our talents. We ought to drink and eat to the glory of God. And man, if we, if we can drink and eat to the glory of God, imagine what else we can do to the glory of God. But I imagine out there, there are new Christians who are reading these verses and they're not asking themselves, what do they mean? They're asking themselves, what does it look like? And I'm worried that in their asking those questions, they're met with a distracted and busy church that is too much in a hurry to think about their needs. Hey, I'm just struggling keeping up with my Netflix shows or whatever, you know, like whatever is distracting us, whatever is sucking our time. I'm worried that these new Christians who are asking themselves these questions, what does it look like to love Jesus with our life, are met with a busy church. And that is why the church, it needs much more than a preacher or an evangelist or a teacher. Ephesians tells us that we are here simply to equip you for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? It is to make disciples because a single preacher, a single pastor cannot make disciples out of an entire church. That's impossible. It's not going to happen. 
especially if you have to be generous with your time. That's not possible. A lot of people, uh, when we had our baby, uh, they've been asking, hey, how can we help with the church? And, and simply the best answer I can give is, hey, would you get connected with someone in the church? Just make sure they're doing okay. Would you pray with them? Would you read with them? Would you go and meet up with them? You know, if that's the best way you can serve, because that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. See, this is how we practically worship God. This connects into our community together as a church. It connects into how we serve others, and it connects into uh Worship, just like we've been talking about these last few weeks. But here in the end, I want to underline this. The gasoline that drives this vehicle onwards is always the good news of Jesus. Like we see it in the Great Commission. It's the, the what we're supposed to do is sandwiched in between that he is all authority and he is with us to the end of the age. So what drives our church onward in this mission to make disciples is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who empowers us, and it is him who we, we seek to glorify and to serve. If, if you cling on to moral imperatives without gospel motives, you're going to have a sad story that ends up with a shriveled up, burnt out, and hopeless soul. You need the good news of Jesus, of a Savior dying for your sins, of loving you when you didn't deserve to be loved. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're not being met with love when you're trying to love someone else, if you ever want to have hope in trying to love your enemy, you need this message of the good news of Jesus. You need to be able to look at a bloody cross and see there not defeat, but victory. You need to be able to see there, not hopelessness, but hope. That's what we have as Christians. Like literally, we have hope and purpose in whatever circumstance we walk into. doesn't matter how much we have or we don't have. doesn't matter how much we gain or we lose. doesn't matter how much we feel awesome or we feel horrible. We have this unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, don't move on to discipleship. You need that. That's the gasoline that keeps this car rolling. If you're going to try to do this without the good news of Jesus, well, frankly, you don't have anything to teach these people. How are you going to teach them? How are you going to lead people to a place you've never been? It's not going to happen. What we need is the good news of Jesus. We need to constantly be praising God for the fact that, yes, we are sinners in need of a Savior, but praise God, we have a Savior in Jesus that is our motives. That is our purpose. That is what empowers us. And it is him whom we enjoy and we glorify and we serve. If you cling on to moral imperatives without this gospel motive, your story is going to be really, really sad. Because our faith is not moralism, it's grace. That because of Jesus and his love for us, we can love him and we can have this amazing love and his amazing power, love even those who revile us or hate us. Because of Jesus, may we seek to love Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to live like Jesus. And when, not if we fail, but when we fail, 
in loving like Jesus because we're not perfect. May we rejoice when we are caught by the net of grace that breaks our fall, that comforts us, that heals us. May we praise God for his amazing grace through Jesus Christ. And may we move on to enjoy him even more. So let me just pray for us as we go into this week. If you would be thinking with me, what are the distractions in my life that are keeping me from taking the command of Jesus seriously? And what does it look like for me to love the people around me, to help them grow in faith in their new reality of living, <coughs> living out the teachings of Jesus? So let me pray. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength. I pray that we would always be motivated by you, by your love for us, by your grace and your mercy. God, may we never seek to do anything in our own understanding. God, I pray for our church as we go through some weird times where we've not met up for a long time and it's just so strange. Father, I pray, I pray that you would continue to build your church. God, I am reminded that it is not about our plans, our strategy. It's not about our effort. If we put all of our effort into it, the house does not get built unless you build this house. So build your church. Glorify yourself. Allow us to partake in the mission that you've left for us. And we thank you, Father, for the fact that you allow us broken, imperfect, individuals to be a part of your amazing plan to love the people around us would you give us the wisdom of things to practically teach to them but also god the people that we share time with may they be infected with the love that we have for jesus and father may we seek to show them what it looks like to live like jesus help us reflect you to a watching world that is looking for hope is looking for something more. And may we see people find their hope in you, find their rest in you, find their joy and their comfort and security in you. Use us as tools in your hands for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lostofan Baptista Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopovor, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. The address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Music